the pastor of my church said something that resonates with me that I really want to share. And he said, a good parent is not based on the choices the child makes. A good parent is based on the choices the parent makes. And that I've held that close for a long, long time because the choices Kelsey made put her where she was. But me as a parent, I kept thinking all of her problems that I should have done more. I always thought I was not good enough. I didn't do enough. So I think, I think that if there's anything that I wish I would have learned was sometimes you can do your very, very best and it just doesn't exactly end up the way you think it's gonna. When life as you know it is flipped upside down, we struggle to make sense of it all. Why would a good God allow this to happen? Hi, I'm Sherry Pilkington, your host of Finding God in Our Pain. In early 2018, the deepest questions of my life erupted when I unexpectedly lost my husband of 32 years. Since then, I've searched the heart of God for what He has to say about pain and suffering. In this podcast, we'll discover how God enters into our pain, shepherds us through our darkest valley, and out into the green pastures once again. I'll bring you firsthand stories from women who will allow us into their authentic struggle, along with professional advice from experts, counselors, and others who can speak to what it looks like to navigate pain. Join me as we discover God's answers to the deepest cries of our shattered heart. My sweet guest, Lori Grant, is a mama who is ready to share for the first time her personal story of her youngest daughter, Kelsey's journey into alcoholism. We often hear the alcoholic's story from their perspective, but we rarely get to hear it from the loved ones who care for them. The toll it takes on the heart, the feelings of helplessness and fear, doing absolutely anything to save them, and yet never getting to the end of the anxiety, never being free of feeling like they won't make it to their next birthday. What a powerful story of a mother who gave it her all and then gave it all up, laid it all down, choosing to take God at his word, to trust him with her daughter's life. My heart was most moved when Lori shared how she came to the realization that in her efforts to save her daughter, she was enabling her, not equipping her, but rather setting her up for failure. Lori had to make some very tough decisions that left her feeling as though she was abandoning her daughter, rejecting her, leaving her to die. Decisions that waged war on every fiber of her being as a mother. I hope your heart finds encouragement to know that even though the life you envision for your children might not look like what you thought it should or would, but it's still good. And there's a beautiful testimony of God's goodness in the midst of a very real fight for the life of your children. Lori, thank you for being here to talk about the story of your daughter's 10-year journey through grief, depression, and alcoholism. Not to mention, or not so much about her struggle personally, but about yours, her mom, a Christian mom. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. We often hear about the recovery journey of someone who's been in an active addiction, but we rarely hear the story from a perspective of those who love them how it takes its toll on them. And these are people who would lay down their life for the loved one. I think you shared with me that this is the first time that you've told this story in this type of format. So thank you that you would trust my audience to hear this first time from you. 
And when I asked you why you shared that your heart was to give others hope, tell me why hope is so important to you. And then we'll lay out the story around your daughter's journey into and out of alcoholism with the specific focus on how it affected you. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important story to hear from that other perspective. I felt very lonely because the focus is just on that sick person and you're working so hard and you love them so much and you become kind of invisible. I really want to reach out to these other women or parents, it could be men too, that there are others of us out here that get it and we feel it. And I want to give them hope and say, you're not alone. You know, there's so many support systems in place and there's so much focus on the person that's sick, but there's not as much focus on the person that's trying to help them and help them get well. And I just really feel like People just need to hear a little bit of my story and hear that we're out here and there is hope and and we're going to be okay. And God is with us through all of it. And sometimes it feels a little bit quiet. It feels a little bit quiet and we're working so hard, but he's still there. I used to joke with my older daughter that I had God just kind of sitting on my shoulder and he was just kind of hanging there because it was so scary. So I think that that's my big wish is to, to make people understand that there is so much hope out there. It's just a little bit quiet. Well, there is so much power in knowing that you're not alone. That by yes. itself, that I'm not alone. There are others out here who are dealing with this, who know and understand what I'm going through. I don't have to explain myself. I have some kindred hearts who understand what I'm going through. There's a lot of power in that. Yes. So tell us what was life like before your daughter found herself in a place where she felt like she needed to create coping skills. My daughter was very, very shy. Now, this is my younger daughter. Her name is Kelsey. I have an older daughter as well, who's four years older, just so you know, because it affects all of us. It affected all three of us. I was a single mom from the time my kids were three and seven. And Kelsey was my little shy blonde. I called her my ponytail girl. Very quiet, very into sports. When she was about five years old, she started playing basketball and baseball and sports was her thing, even though she was super, super shy. When she was 14 years old, it was eighth grade and they were on their way to their first basketball game of the season. Again, Kelsey was very shy and quiet, but she was kind of intense. Kelsey was ASB president. Her best friend, Audra, was ASB vice president, and they both played on the basketball team. Kelsey was the team captain. And Audra was a player. The kids were sitting in the parking lot and they were getting ready to go. We were driving from Ridgecrest, California to Bakersfield, California. It's a couple hour drive for the game. And Kelsey went and hopped in Audra's car. And Kelsey's dad went over and, and said, Kelsey, you know, I'm not driving over to Bakersfield myself. <laughs> You're going to get in the car with me. So Audra and Kelsey were pretty mad. And Kelsey goes over, gets in the car with her dad. And off everybody goes. Well, Audra and her mother left just a couple of minutes before the rest. And when Kelsey and her father drove by this big field, there was a car out there. It had just had an accident. It was upside down. And her dad thought, gosh, you know, that kind of looks like Audra's car. They didn't say anything to Kelsey. So they get to the game. No Audra. Sure enough. Yes, indeed. Audra had been in a car accident with her mother. Mom climbed out of the windshield. And Audra had been sitting back in her car, in the, in the seat of the car. And so that seatbelt wasn't tight against her chest. So she had internal injuries and Audra ended up passing away. That was the turning point of our life. Got this kid who was inseparable with her best friend. If they weren't on the phone, they were together. 
it was constant. And then suddenly it's not something a 14 year old can manage. And so Kelsey decided that she was going to be tough for the team. She was, she was the team captain. So I think Kelsey put off the healing for herself while she was trying to help the others on her team heal. It was a rough year. We did have Kelsey go into therapy and Kelsey didn't want anything to do with it. She was kind of that kid that crossed their arms and said, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need this. By the end of her eighth grade year, you've got this straight A student, ASB president, and she was just failing. She was failing all of her classes. And I was going to school and trying to help her. She was checked out. I, I, I don't know how to explain it, except that she was just checked out. That alone you know, is a survival skill as far as defending or blocking the pain. Don't want to feel it. Don't right. want to face it. Right. But it's got to go somewhere, right? That pain. I'm going to be selfish here for a minute and say, I love Dodger too. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm trying to help my kid, but man, I, I was grieving too. Audra was a huge part of my life and a huge part of my other daughter's life. We were a team. And so I had to grieve silently. I had to go find a quiet place away from my daughter to grieve for this gorgeous, beautiful young lady that was just taken so quickly out of our lives. So as a mom, you're just trying, you're just trying to keep your kid above water. Yeah. You know, that's where your energy is. And I remember going into her room and she couldn't get out of bed. She just was so depressed. She couldn't get out of bed. And I remember saying to her, okay, Kelsey, how about you just sit up? Why don't you just sit up? Okay, Kelsey, how about you just put one foot on the ground? Mm. And I literally step-by-step got her out of bed. And I remember thinking at that point that this is a really, really big deal. This is a hard, hard thing. And so, so at the end of her eighth grade year, Kelsey was actually a phenomenal basketball player and basketball does play a pretty big part in her story. And at the end of her eighth grade year, the high school coach said, okay, Kelsey, you're mine now. So, so her freshman year, she was on the varsity basketball team. That's a big responsibility, a big pressure too. A lot of pressure and yeah, a lot of stress for a 14 year old to be playing with 17 year old kids. That's a big deal too. But maybe an outlet, maybe that's helping a little bit, but when you're depressed to the point where you will not even consider to get out of bed and you have to be coached to sit up, put one foot down, stand up, that's serious. And I had to sit with her with schoolwork Mm. and because if she didn't get the grades, she couldn't play ball. And so there was all of that. And the depression was huge. One of the coaches said to me, you know, does, does Kelsey have some focusing issues or sometimes I'm talking to her and it's like, I'm looking right through her. Mm. I had no idea that she was that distracted. She would actually go to class and fall asleep. Is this depression or is this, was she using alcohol at that time? She was not using alcohol at that time that I know of. And teenage years are kind of tough because there's already the emotional hormonal you right. know, going all over the place. And then there, she's lost a beloved friend. Okay. Right. So there's that. How do you, are you able to gauge? When do you step in? When do you take yeah. action? What's normal? What's not? It's hard to know what's normal. Cause you've never experienced it before. You don't, you don't really know what to look for. She was quiet. She was shy. And so that was difficult. So I'd be very excited if she's going to go out with a friend of hers, Yeah. but little did I know that she was smoking pot. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. So she played basketball for her freshman year and she was falling apart. She was losing an outrageous amount of weight. She was unfocused. 
So Kelsey and I sat down and I said, Kelsey, you're really sick. You're just really sick and we need to get some help. And I would suggest you don't play basketball next year. And basketball was her, was her love. And this is when I knew she was really sick is when she said, okay, mom, I'm not going to play basketball next year. I'm done. So, so her sophomore year, she didn't play ball at all. The end of her sophomore year, she came back to me and she said, I think I want to play again, but I'm failing all my classes. So she went to night school and went back to school, got what she needed to do, got, got stuff taken care of so she could play ball again. She played her junior year. She played her senior year. I do believe that she started drinking during her senior year, but I think it was, or she thought it was under control. I don't think she thought she had lost control at that point. After her senior year, I decided I was going to take a job in Virginia and she was going to come with me. But right at the end there, when she was 18, she met a boy and his name was Francis. So she just put all of her energy into this relationship with Francis. So we moved to Virginia. And of course, she didn't want to be in Virginia. She wanted to be where Francis was. And that just escalated. So the drinking escalated when we were in Virginia. She was working at a restaurant and those kids were big drinkers, but she wasn't really in danger with her drinking at that point. She Mm -hmm. wasn't driving, drinking and driving and all those things hadn't, hadn't happened yet. So she went back to California and started this relationship with Francis. At what point are you crying out to the Lord? You said you're divorced. So you're by yourself. You're raising two girls. You're grieving. Yeah. What are you saying to God? that you are pleading for? I'm thinking I'd be pleading. I was, I was. In fact, when I went through my divorce, I remember praying this prayer, God, you are now going to have to be their father. I need you to take that role. So God has always been a presence in this and always been nearby. So I would say from the time my kids were born, I was crying out to God Mm -hmm. and, and being a single mom is, is just a super, super hard thing and trying to deal with this and figure out what's going on and what the next step is. And so I would say I was probably, I was crying out to God the whole time. I would imagine it's kind of scary. I'm in the position as a widow that my children are older. I did not have that burden that they were young when I lost my husband, but that is very panicky to me when I think about that, that added burden of trying to guide and steward things well. And then feeling like you're losing control. Well, there is no control. Control is an illusion. But when you see one of your children struggling like that, I know you said it's out of control and and at least she agreed to get help. So that's a good thing. But what was the turning point? So she went back to California and I got this phone call from her and she was completely drunk. And it was about eight o'clock in the morning, California time. Apparently she was putting alcohol in her coffee. I said, Kelsey, I'm coming to get you. She said, well, I'm not sure exactly, you know, where I am right now. And I said, I'm coming to California. So I literally went to the airport with a backpack on my, on my back, went up to the ticket counter, got a flight. You know, you read about this or you hear about this in the movies. You don't think people really do this. But I literally just went up to the ticket counter, got a flight for the next flight out to San Diego and went and got my kid. And I brought her back. And that's when it got really bad. They always say it gets worse before it gets better. And it did. 
it, mm. it got really bad. So she got a job. She was drinking all the time. She would come home drunk. I was like, how did you get home? I drove home. I said, you can't be driving. She got in an accident. She called me and she did not know where she was. And I couldn't find her. I asked her to go out to the street and tell me what was around her. She said, well, I'm at McDonald's. I said, well, what McDonald's are you at? So that was horrible. Trying to figure out where she was, knowing she was in danger, knowing she'd been in an accident, knowing she was drinking to dull the pain of getting in an accident. So that was a scary one. At that point, I put a tracker on her car, um, which she didn't like. I could see where she was and I could see if things were sporadic because I I didn't want to not be able to get to her. She went into a rehab program and I think she kind of wanted to be there, but didn't really want to be there. I didn't know what it would take to get her to believe it was time to fix the problem. That's one of the big challenges. I think you're dealing with an adult who is legally able to make her own decisions, but maybe not making the best ones because- That's certainly not God's best for her. Right. And then she met another friend. And so they were kind of working and then partying and working and partying. And this young lady needed some place to stay. And at that time, my daughter was going to school to be a massage therapist. And this young lady, I, I opened up my home for the young lady to come stay with us. I figured maybe I can help them both and not, not the best idea because things were brought into my home that was not okay. And I asked my daughter, I told her that this young lady was going to have to go kind of knowing that my daughter might go too, but I didn't know what else to do. Right. Cause I couldn't, I, I couldn't help them with all of this mess. They, they didn't want my help. They were using me. So my daughter left with this friend and it, that lasted just for a little while. And, and she came home and, and she was working and I knew she was supposed to be working that this particular day. So this is where the story kind of blows up. There was one particular day that I was kind of watching the tracker on her car and I knew she was supposed to be working that day. And in the morning, the tracker was this really random place that she was going. I didn't know what she was doing. And then I saw that the car was at home at my house, but she was supposed to be at work. And I didn't understand why she wasn't at work. And I just felt, and this was a Holy Spirit thing. This was a God thing. No question. I told my boss, something's not right. I need to go home. And so I went home. And when I drove in, the garage door was up. Her car was parked in the garage. The back door to the house was open, like wide open. Mm. And she was nowhere around. So I go upstairs and she is in her bed and she's passed out. And I just started shaking her. Kelsey. Kelsey, Kelsey, wake up. You're supposed to be at work. Kelsey, wake up, wake up. She was really groggy and she was slurring and she was trying to talk to me, but she, she, she couldn't make out any words. And I just, I was terrified. I cannot tell you how afraid I was. Mm -hmm. And I said, Kelsey, Kelsey, what did you take? Kelsey, did you take some drugs? What's going on? The only audible words that came out of her mouth were no drugs. That's, that's all I got. So I said, well, we got to get up. We got it. We got to get you up. I have no idea. I'm not experienced in alcoholism. I'm not experienced about blood alcohol levels. I don't, I don't know any of that. And I sat her up. And when I sat her up, I realized 
that she had had an accident and she had a slice from just under her armpit all the way down to her waist. And she looked like she had been flayed. Wow. Had no idea what was going on. Mm. And, and I don't do that stuff very well, but I was in mom mode, so it didn't matter. Right. So I took my shirt off. I had two shirts on. I took my shirt off and wrapped it around her body to keep her body back together. Wow. Now, wow. why I didn't call 911, I don't know. You react the way you react. I put this girl's you know, arm over my shoulder, took her downstairs, put her in my car and drove to the hospital. Got to the hospital. She, she had 25 staples. That's what it took to put this gash back together again. Her alcohol level was so high. They told me that she never should have woken up. Mm. So mm. had I not gone home, right? she would not be with us. Mm. Mm. So that was the big turning point as far as for her. Yeah. Changing her decisions. What role did prayer play for you or does prayer play yeah. for you in this specific journey? Now, this prayer without ceasing is, is who I am. And I will honestly say, I, I, I was really crying out to God. Where are you? Right. Where are you? You know, this has been going on now for however many years, four or five years. Now we're at the brink of things. This girl should not even be alive. I'm thanking him and praising him for the fact that I was watching that tracker that day. Mm-hmm. And that it was in the car and that she hadn't disabled it. So I was grateful. I I would say I was grateful because I knew he had saved her life, but I still felt like, why, why, why is she still so sick? And why can't I help her? What can I do? This is what I found is that I can give everything of my life to God. I can give up 100% control of my life. God, take it. It's yours. But as a mom mm. and releasing control of my very sick child and realizing that I really don't have control, mm. that was hard. It's where our inability to help ourselves or make any difference in our situation collides with God's sovereignty. And then we have to submit ourselves, which yeah. when I say that, let me ask you this. Can you, are you able to put into words what it takes to submit your heart? And I'm talking about your daughter, because that's really as a mom that's our heart to submit her over to the full care of God. It's not like he wasn't taking care of her. I mean, you were prompted maybe by him to put the tracking system on. He, yeah. You're watching it. She didn't yeah. disable it. Um, and then you were able to go home at that time. What did it take to let go and let God? I think the biggest part of that was just understanding that I was holding on too tight and I had to trust him. I didn't want to let go. The fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. the fear of not having control. I don't know what it took, except that I think it just took me realizing that I didn't have control over it anyway. I really didn't. So the realization that you don't have any control over, but then there has to come a choice. Yes. What's your choice? The the choice is to, you know, the expression, let go and let God. I was a praise and worship leader for years and years. And I remember calling when she was in the hospital and I remember calling the leader of the group the praise team that I was in. And I called him and I said, I'm going to be out of commission for a little while. I've got, got some stuff going on. And I told him, I told him what had happened in the accident. And he said, 
this is, this is a hard part to say. He said, you know, Lori, even Moses needed someone to hold up his arms. And he said, let us hold up your arms. It was very impactful uh, to me. A minute ago, you said I was holding on too tight. What does that look like that you're holding on too tight that you're trying to control everything? Yeah, I think so. I felt like it was, everything was my responsibility. Everything Mm -hmm. was my responsibility. If I didn't know where she was, if I didn't know if she was at work, if I didn't know where she was, if I didn't know if she was at friend's house, I felt like I needed to have my hand on her every minute because she was so sick and I had to let go of that. That is amazing. When you think about that, that you have to submit yourself to laying down what is deeply ingrained in you as a mother, but you're not talking to somebody who doesn't understand laying down their son, laying down their child, but I'm talking about the example of what God did with his son for us. That sounds like every mother who is struggling through this journey with their child when they're watching them destroy their lives, or at least that's how we would term it as a mother. Yes. It just seems like there's this place that you have to come to. What do people do? I wonder that do not have God. I remember exactly where I was standing. And this was just a couple of weeks before the accident. And I remember holding her, just hugging her and saying, Kelsey, I am afraid you're not going to see your next birthday. You need to get this under control. She just didn't get it. She just didn't, she didn't agree with me. And I remember at that moment feeling I'm going to lose my daughter and trying to figure out what do I need to do? But it wasn't what I need to do. It was what God needed to do Mm. because I couldn't, I couldn't change her heart. So the accident, after the accident, of course, she realized that this was a bigger problem and she never fought with me about it. As soon as she got home, we started looking at rehab programs So this would be her second bout of rehab. And I told her, oh my gosh, (laughs) this was one of the hardest things. I said, you can't live here anymore because I'm enabling you. Oh, that was so hard. Do you think most parents enable their children? I don't think they mean to. I think they love them. I think they love them and they want to protect them and they want to help them. I really felt that if she wasn't living in my home and I wasn't helping her, that I was going to lose her. Mm. And getting to the point of realizing that you've got to accept their choices as an adult, because she was actually starting to destroy my life as well. My life was all about worrying about Kelsey. The two of us sat down and found a rehab program and she went to Michigan and I flew there with her. And this is another, this is another really, really tough mom moment. We walked into the rehab facility And I got a full pat down. She got a full pat down. It was like I was taking my child to jail. That's what it felt like. And there was screaming and there was chaos. I could hear it. I couldn't see it. And they gave us a, they gave us tour of the facility, but it was dark and it was scary and leaving my child there was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Did you just collapse? Did you just sit in your car? Oh, I was so, I was so brave and I got through it and I got in my car and I got to the hotel. Sorry, but I cried all night. I didn't want to leave her. Even now I hear it in your voice that that comes, comes back to you, that you were 
and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when I think about me being in that position that you are abandoning your child and that goes against every grain in a mother's heart. That was the beginning of saving her. Wow. That's me letting go of her was the beginning of saving her. Mm -hmm. So she went through a 30 day rehab program and I told her she couldn't come home. So she went to a halfway house for quite a, quite a few months. She started working. They were very strict about AA and how many meetings they went to. If they weren't working, they had to be proving that they were looking for a job. I still had her car. So she had Uber, which (laughs) she was not happy about. (laughs) She saw a few friends with drug overdoses that died that she was living with. And again, as a mom, that is terrifying. My, my child is there with these people that have a certain type of lifestyle that can kill my child. And knowing that she is now dubbed an addict, even though she never did drugs, mm-hmm. she is dubbed an addict. It's terrifying. I, I, I actually went to a meeting that was supposed to be for parents. And when I went to this meeting, the meeting was not good for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was not good for me. I left with my hope was gone. I felt like there was not going to be a happy ending for my story. So then I went back to my church and spoke to a counselor at my church. He was wonderful and he was super encouraging. And uh, he had a child that went through some of this stuff. So that was, that was helpful. That's helpful because the church drops the ball on these areas. I just didn't feel the relief. I just Mm -hmm. didn't feel the relief. I knew I was loved, which I had to really purposely keep saying, I know God loves me. I know he's here. I know God loves me. I know he's here. Protect Kelsey, protect Kelsey. I prayed for God to put a hedge around Kelsey and help her heal. When you think about the learning curve that you had to go through, and it's not like anyone believes that they need to know how to cope. Like there's no class to go to or classes to take in case your child has to struggle with addiction. So it's not like I'm saying, oh, you lacked knowledge about this, but what is something you wish you'd known before you started into this journey? I, I don't know. I, you, you don't know what you don't know. I, I, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and, you know, I, I want to say I was engaged with my daughter and I tried really hard to keep in tune to what she was feeling. The pastor of my church said something that resonates with me that I really want to share. and. He said, a good parent is not based on the choices the child makes. A good parent is based on the choices the parent makes. And that I've held that close for a long, long time because the choices Kelsey made put her where she was. But me as a parent, I kept thinking all of her problems that I should have done more. I always thought I was not good enough. I didn't do enough. So I think, I think that if there's anything that I wish I would have learned was sometimes you can do your very, very best and it just doesn't exactly end up the way you think it's gonna. And it can also start from a place of grief. Like for instance, if she, you remember you said she crossed her arm, she wasn't having it, no therapy for her. So she had that option to find relief for yes. her grief and chose not to. And yes. then it starts this down a journey down this path of making choices that 
where you need to self-medicate and you need to cope, you need coping skills. And then of course, those are choices as well, but such it's a normal experience in life, grief, and yet it can turn out in so many different ways. So to your point that a parent is not responsible for the choices of their children. Right. Absolutely. You just mentioned that sometimes the things don't turn out like you envisioned. So you had a future that you envisioned for your daughter and it didn't play out like you'd planned in your heart. Yes. What did that do to your heart? I would say it's still hard for me being absolutely transparent. She was this gorgeous, fit, athletic, smart. And I, you know, I thought she would go to college and and do all these things and she's healthy now. I mean, she's been sober for five years. She's a massage therapist. She's doing great. It just didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out. It just didn't turn out the way I thought it would turn out. Was there a turning point for you when you laid down your expectations? Because I think moms have expectations for their children. I think you should. I think that's normal. But you had to lay them down at some point and begin to embrace where your daughter was at. Yes. I think the turning point was when I realized that my child was still alive. Hmm. I am grateful that I didn't lose her that day. I should have lost her that day. Knowing that she's sober and knowing that she's taking control of her life, even though it doesn't look the way I thought it would, she's still healthy and she's still working and she's still an AA and she, she's paying attention. So I'm proud of her. I'm very, very proud of her. I think one of the reasons I never get tired of the underdog overcoming is because at a certain point, it becomes almost impossible to overcome. It's almost as if they have a larger mountain to climb when they become sober, because now everything has to be reworked or earned or whatever the term is for that. But I, I always marvel at that when they set it in their heart to be disciplined enough and to take the hits. Cause I know they, like you said, she was not happy about that Uber ride, but yet Ooh. she's going <laughs> to suck it up and make it work. I, I think that's one of the reasons why I love, love to hear the comeback story. You know, and all I wanted to do is give her a car back. Right. I want to yeah. help her. I want to help her get to work because that's, that's, that's just what a mom does, but I couldn't. So as parents, you can push them right back into when you enable them and then you set them up for failure, that's a heartbreak for a parent, because like you said, you just want to help them. Right. And I just think that going through all that and, you know, it was, it was kind of a 24 hour a day worry, Mm. just being afraid. And, and I will say that even now, if I don't hear from her every week, I don't talk to her. I don't hear her voice. That fear starts creeping back in again. Something's wrong. Where's Kelsey? What's she doing? Is she okay? She and I have had that conversation. You know, she understands that I feel like that. I feel like, Kelsey, I need to talk to you. I need, you know, I just talked to her last night, actually. I didn't talk to her almost two weeks. And I sent her a text. Hey, Kelsey, just want to say hi. And she called me. And I go, it's like a reset button. I don't know how to explain that. It's just a reset. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. I can tell by her voice. She's busy. This is what's going on and she's okay. But I don't know that that will ever go away. 
but I think I'm okay with that. God saved her life. I'll live with that. There's proof that he cares and that he intervenes and that he's leading and guiding, which brings me to this question. Something that I, I often find myself getting ahead of myself. I always tell the Lord it's the biggest challenge I have with you, Lord is waiting on you because I I get out of step with you. I want to make things happen. But when you didn't see God working, what were some of the things that you would do? For instance, you know, he's working. That's who he is. He can't not work on our behalf. But when we don't see it, when I don't see it, I start getting busy on my own strength and understanding. Well, I would pray more. I will tell you that. And I would pray for guidance more. God, show yourself, show yourself, show yourself, you know, being a musician, uh, I would say, send me a song that's got some lyrics. Tell, talk to me. I really need to hear your voice. And, and he always did. But I will, I will say that sometimes it just seems like it just takes too long. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're just not that patient. <laughs> you have, you mentioned you have a daughter. And yes. so you have two children, two daughters. Yes. What does it do to the other sibling when there's active addiction or at least depression in the home? Oh my goodness. I, that is, that, that has been really hard for us, you know? So let me tell you just, just a tiny bit about Becca, my older daughter. She is super smart. She flew through school. She's that kid that's got it together. She has got it together. And she was really a tough little person just because she was so smart. And it was really hard because we were the three amigos So if Becca was struggling, Kelsey and I were there to help her. If I was struggling, the girls were there for me. If Kelsey was struggling, we were there for her. But then Kelsey's went on and on and on. And Becca's still, you know, she's going to college and and Kelsey's not returning her calls. And I think Becca really felt kind of invisible because Mm -hmm. there was all of this struggle to help Kelsey. And, and Becca's just doing what she's supposed to be doing. And, and I think reminding the one that's doing what they're supposed to be doing, that's got it all together, reminding them how much you appreciate them and how much you love them and how special they are, I think is really important. And I don't think I did enough of that. About three years ago, actually, uh, I moved to Sacramento where my daughter Becca is. And we're hanging out all the time and I'm spending all this time with her. And I told her that I was sorry that I didn't give her enough of my time. She understood. I think she was hurt by Kelsey's actions too, because Kelsey just didn't, she didn't know what she was doing. And so it's been wonderful to just have this relationship now with Becca. And and we're just like, we're just like best buddies. We're on the phone all the time and go out of town and it's, it's, it's great. But I, but I really wanted to make sure that Becca didn't go through the rest of her life feeling like, oh gosh, I'm the good kid. And so I got ignored. Right. Yeah. Because I imagine that is quite real to think that or feel that in other circumstances. What little bit I do know about what I have seen happen uh, in families and families that are related to me, the rehab cycle is pretty like two, three, four, five times. Did Kelsey experience that? You know, I feel really, really blessed that when she went away to Michigan for rehab, 
uh, that was, that was the last rehab that Kelsey has been through. So when she got out of rehab, uh, she couldn't come home. She had to go to halfway house. She went to this halfway house and it was really scary for me. I'm sure it was really scary for her. They originally put her in the basement and the longer you stay at the rehab and the, the, the rooms start coming available, you get to move to different rooms. And, but just having her there just kind of broke my heart because I wanted to see her and I wanted to be a part of her life and I wanted to help her. And I knew that I still had to keep hands off. And so I could call her, but I couldn't really hang out with her. And she worked hard. She worked hard for her recovery. And they were very specific about how many meetings she needed to go to a week and if she had to work. And if she wasn't working, she had to be looking for work. And at that point, she did not have her car. And so she was working as a massage therapist and she had to Uber. Well, she used all of her tips just for the Uber ride. It was, it wasn't easy. It was not easy for her. And I think at that point, she really decided that she was going to do this. And I feel really, really blessed that we didn't end up in a cycle of four or five rehabs. I, you know, it, it, it could have happened that way. What I've seen is that when they come back from rehab, if they don't go to a halfway house, it's like the people that they used to hang out with know they're back and here yeah. they come again. And then the cycle all over again. So that's, that is a blessing that you only had to endure that, that one time and the halfway house being as scary as it is. And then still again, my hat's off to her yeah. taking the hits and brave, not giving up. You know, brave. She's, a, she is a brave young lady. And the things that I saw that she was enduring in the halfway house, you know, again, as a mom, you would never want your child there. You mentioned a few minutes ago of her working her recovery, but what about your recovery? Did you work your recovery? Yeah, still working. Always will be working. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, I love my daughters. I love them more than life itself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think I haven't told the story because I wasn't ready. And I didn't know that I could tell the story without just bawling through right. it because the emotional piece of trying to, and I'm going to use air quotes here, save someone. It's not within my power to save her. Mm -hmm. And I really want to make sure that people know the story that it, it it's not me. It's God that saved Kelsey. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure all my prayers helped, yeah, of course, <laughs> you know? And I never gave up on her. And, and so there's that hope. There's that hope word again, where just don't give up because you just don't know what God's going to do. You don't know. And when so many people had said, well, you know, Lori, this is what you're going to have to live with the rest of your life. That's not necessarily true. How do you not give up, but yet not enable? I think it's hard for me to let her be in Virginia and have me be in California. I think the distance is a reminder. It's a constant reminder to me that this is Kelsey's life and she needs to be in charge of it. And I can't enable her. I still help her now and then. I might give her some money or send her a Starbucks card. I did pay for her airfare to come out to her sister's wedding. Nice. But 
she has, she has to do it and she has to believe in herself. So I continually encourage her to believe in herself and her relationship with God. And she is a Christian. She does love God. She does want to do the right thing. So I think that helps a lot. What is something you want to say to a mom who is struggling with the reality that their child's current condition does not resemble anything that they had envisioned for them? I want to tell them you are not alone. That if that's the one thing I can leave here is you are not alone. There are other moms out there that are going through or have been through, and they're not always a bad ending. So have hope and be encouraged that we're out here and we care. We care about you and we care, but make sure you take care of yourself too. Make sure you remember that it's not only about that child. It's about you and your life as well. And that is very important in the equation of healing and restoring is to make sure that you take care of yourself, get the help you need, understand those enabling qualities I would imagine it would be very difficult to separate a mother's natural desire to protect her children and what really looks like enabling them. I just feel like that's a very fine line it's, that maybe a parent has to distinguish. Yes. In order to bring balance. Yes. Yes. Situation. And I don't know that we can see that line. I couldn't see that line. I knew that if I did this, she would do that. That's as far as I could go is if I did this, this is what was going to happen. And I couldn't let that happen. So I didn't take my hands off and my heart was broken every day. Every day. Does gratitude play a part in holding on when you've got a tiny scrap of thread hope? Yes. Gratitude plays a part in holding on. It's, it's all in the way you look at it. So I could have been ungrateful that we had the accident or I could be grateful that her life was spared. I think as a Christian, we need to continually remember that there's other ways to look at things, not a worldly way, but a godly way. In fact, I'm sitting in my office right now and I have a sign right above me and it says, be grateful. And I carry that, that sign is with me, but every job I go to and I put it within eyesight of my desk, wherever I go. And I think it's very easy to become more of the world and not be grateful. And for me, being grateful kind of gets me through some of that hard stuff. I keep thinking about, well, I'm grateful for this and I'm grateful for that. And this too is God's plan. He's working in here somewhere. I just don't see it. Amen to that, that he's working. We can count on that, that he's working. Right. Lori, before we go any further, one of the things that I forgot to ask you about was you mentioned that your daughter's back was filleted. What happened to your daughter's back? So here's what's really interesting about that. We never found out what happened. She said that she was trying to build a turtle container. She had found a turtle and she said that she had some wood. She remembers having some wood to build a little enclosure for this turtle. She doesn't remember what happened. Mm. There should have been blood everywhere. Really? To this day, we don't know what happened. The only thing we can think is we found a piece of wood in the garage that had a nail on it. And the only thing that we can think of was she probably was 
going to pick something else up and she put that piece of wood underneath her arm to carry it and stumbled because she was so intoxicated and fell. And that nail, the top side of the nail, pierced the inside of her just under her armpit and just sliced her right open. There was no blood. Wow. She should have bled out. We will never know what happened. And then talk about infection. Literally just wide open. Wow. Are you able to encourage the mom who's had to lay their child to rest over addiction? I know that was not your experience, but I feel sure you looked death in the face a time or two. Not soon after Kelsey's uh, got out of get got out of rehab and, and was doing pretty well. I think it was about six months after one of her very close friends died of an OD. He overdosed and his parents didn't know that, but all the symptoms and, and what had happened in the story, it was pretty evident that he had an overdose. And I, you know, I just want to wrap my arms around them. There's a little bit of me feeling guilty that I have my kid and she doesn't. You know, I, I feel like I lost my 14 year old girl, that bouncy straight, a, that little 14 year old girl I lost when Audra's accident happened because it changed our entire life. And I knew when it happened, our lives would never be the same. I didn't realize how different it would be, but I can't say that I can relate fully to a mom that's lost her child. I can say that I feel like I lost that child, but God gave me a different child. Mm. That's a good distinction. You lost the child you did know, but God, and God gave you a different one. Yeah. With that in mind to give parents, but then again, you wonder how much you really want to face, but what are some signs that a parent needs to look for in order to take action on behalf of their children, not cure them, not help save them, but well, I mean, I guess you could save them if you're taking action soon enough. Absolutely. And I'm super happy you asked me that question. Even though you think you're very engaged and you know where your kid is and we get blamed at being a helicopter mom. If you don't know where your kid is and you don't know who they're with and what they're doing, engage more, engage, 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 because we want to believe our kids are honest. We want to believe that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're where they say they're going to be. I really believe that my 14 year old Kelsey, even though she said she was okay and I thought she was okay and, and we were doing the right things. I don't know that she was ready to go hang out with her friends. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I didn't have any idea when she started drinking and so I would say if they start pulling away from you and they start spending all this time with their friends, start engaging deeper. Even as a teenager, because they do that kind of sort of, but I guess that's when yes. you need to be more alert. Yes. And it's also a time too, when parents think, all right, I've done my hard job. I've got them to the teen years. They'll be fine. Right. In fact, you should probably be a little more engaged maybe. Well, and then, you know, you have people say, well, your kid's going to have all, all their moral values by the time they're whatever age they say, but it's very young. Yeah. I disagree. Yeah, I disagree. 
I've told parents before, I'm like, no, that was the easy part. That's where they thought you knew what you were talking about. And they looked <laughs> up to you and they valued you. I said, no, it's just now started the whole parenting thing. <laughs> Once they get to eight, 18, you just don't have that same control. And so once Kelsey hit 18, then it was way more difficult to try and help her. Because she is an adult who can make decisions for herself right. and you have no say so. Right. You are in a different capacity at that time. You're right. right. What are some things that a mom can do to take care of herself while her child is in addiction or maybe in recovery? I would say if you feel like you're overwhelmed, you probably are. And you need to get some help. You need to go to counseling or therapy and have someone that understands addiction and understands what your child is going through and how you can help. I think that's really, really important. I also had a best friend that was amazing. And I also had a group of friends who were praying for me. I had a very supportive group of friends, but I'm pretty private. So I don't tell a lot of people about my private life, but I did have two or three people that were keeping tabs on me. That's hugely important to not do it alone. A support system. How do you know someone is trustworthy with this kind of information? Have you already been doing life with them for a while? Or is it like you're saying, look for the professional who knows what their, that is their specialty? Yeah, I would say look for a professional. That's their specialty for sure. And, you know, you may not need to be in therapy very long. You may have your act together and be handling it really well, but it's still good to check in with somebody and say, I'm a little overwhelmed. How am I doing? And maybe get some pointers because, you know, we weren't, we don't know about this stuff. And then when it comes to finding a support system, they have a support system for parents with children who are in addiction? That didn't work out for me very well, but I did have my best friend. She actually showed up at the hospital when Kelsey was in the hospital and she brought me Starbucks. Thank you very much. My circles, my very, my circle is very tight. I don't have a lot of people that I entrust. I think it just really become, is from my experience from going through a divorce and, and that type of thing. Having a really close friend that you can trust with just your heart is really important. So a support system being the professional care and the group is a potential possibility, but it sounded like when you visited and I can't remember if you've said it earlier in this conversation or whether it was just you and I talking, but that experience for you was not good. They left you feeling hopeless, which is definitely no, no. When you're trying to hold families together. Yes. That, that was very difficult for me because I, I left there feeling like, my child would never get well, and I would be in this perpetual state of fear. That's how I felt when I left that meeting. So I never went back. I don't blame you. Plus, God tells us a different story anyway. Right. And I knew different. I was looking, I was looking to hear someone that would encourage me and say, you know what? You're really hurting right now, but God is going to come through and you're going to be okay. All I wanted to hear was someone say, Lori, you're going to be okay. Because I didn't feel like I was going to be okay. You know, being a mom's a thankless job under normal circumstances. And it's not like we moms are looking for thank yous. But when you're having to watch your child 
destroy themselves and they're homeless maybe, and you feel completely helpless, where does your strength come from? Or more accurately, what does it look like to find strength, comfort, hope, encouragement with God? How does God tend to you, tend to your heart? I would say that I was an avid churchgoer and that made a difference for me, even though I didn't feel like going, even though there were times that I sat in that back pew, just bawling my eyes out for me, going to church every week and staying engaged in the message, in the church, in the speaking for me, it was, it was a way of staying the path if I would kind of feel like emotionally I was wandering or spiritually I was wandering by going to church on Sundays, sometimes the only thing I got out of that service was to get myself right back on that path. And I felt that if I went to church every Sunday and I could stay on that path, it wouldn't be so hard to lose myself in all this. Mm. It kept my focus on God. That's how I kept my focus on God. And I'm telling you, sometimes it might've been the only thing I heard in an entire church service on Sunday might've been a song, might've been just lyrics to one song, but it still kept me close to God. Keeps you standing on that rock. Right. What is something about your relationship with God that changed and how did it change? Did it grow more intimate? Did those words on, you know, those crinkly pages become real? In what ways did it change? I think it changed in the way that I, I, I know that I'm dependent on him, even though it's sometimes it's hard for me to behave that way or act that way. I know it intellectually that I am dependent on him, but sometimes being divorced woman, you become very independent. And I think the whole situation just is a huge reminder of one, I'm not in it alone. And two, I can't do it alone. That's when we get, as Christians, we get to recline in the sovereignty and the love of God. And there's no place like that. That's where you get that peace that surpasses all understanding. And when you go through things like you've been through, just leaning into him grows that intimacy even more so, even more so. But I know when you're super stressed, it's hard to hang on to a lifeline. It's hard to focus on things. It's hard to retain information. It takes everything you've got to make the right choice and do the right thing. So having God, someone who is bigger than any other thing, there's no other name above him. Everything answers to him. Death is still on its face at his feet. And so we get to walk in the beauty here and now, the beauty of heaven. We get that here and now, despite the cruelty and the evil of this world. When you think about one of your darkest moments, what is something beautiful that God spoke into your spirit? Maybe you heard him audibly. What is something beautiful he said to you in that dark? The thing that he told me was just keep walking. Just keep walking. Even though you can't see the end, you don't know what's going to happen. You just need to keep walking. Don't stop. Not knowing what was going to happen with Kelsey, not knowing if when she went to Michigan, if that, if that was going to be the end of this rehab thing, there was no way to know. And it was, it would have been very easy to get stuck in that grief. God just kept saying, just keep walking, Lori, just keep walking. He was there with me and I knew he was there with me. And if I stumbled, he still had me. 
And I just had to keep walking through it. I think that that's super important. Lori, thank you so much for bearing your heart, the heart of a mother who would lay down her life for her daughter and comes to the realization that you have no control. It's not your job to save your child. And that goes against the grain of a mother's heart in every way, shape or form. So thank you so much for being vulnerable and giving somebody else a helping hand, letting them know they're not alone. And if there's anyone that ever wants to reach out to me, you are welcome to put my email address on there if you want to. I can do that. Just to tell somebody, one, you're not alone and keep walking. Just keep walking. Just trust God. Just keep walking. That faith walk is hard. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.